With work, home, and family, there's so much going on. I feel like I'm always running behind. And the last thing I want to do is spend hours out of my day going to see the doctor or waiting in a waiting room. So I use MD Live virtual doctor visits. I can get treated in about 15 minutes from the comfort of my home and even get medication refills when I run out. MD Live is my first line of defense. Most insurance accepted. Hey y'all, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer, and this is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. So for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are responsible, 100% so, for your happiness, joy, and well-being. In the last segment, we talked about ZPD. The zone of proximal development. And MKOs. Yep, the more knowledgeable others in our lives. And we kind of, um, as we described what that was, as a review of that one, would you just kind of bring us up to speed on what we cover so we can continue going? So we talked about four kind of learners, in a way, the dabblers, the hackers, the obsessives, and the paralyzed perfectionists. And we went deeper into the dabblers. We're going to talk about the other three. And it's good to identify yourself. And and you talked about yourself as a dabbler. Um, a quick start. Yeah, you, know, you so. love the new ideas. You love um, when things are on the new side of it. And what happens with a dabbler is as things get stale, there's either a quit mechanism or just getting yeah. disinterested. So I can explain from a dabbler's perspective how to maintain, move it to mastery, because what you, in my, mind, my mind's eye, I've learned a pattern. Before I read it, I noticed a pattern. I'll grow really fast. Right. And then I plateau, and the excitement of the growth and the study and the learning starts to wane. Yeah. What I've noticed, though, is if I can double down to the point where I say, okay, a little bit of grit here, I'm going to go find out what I don't know. And this comes back to primary questions. What don't I know right now? What questions am I not asking? And I've noticed over the years that all of a sudden I skyrocket again. It's like all brand new, but I'm in the same territory. It's just when people who, who really study things and really get good at what they're doing, they will tell you the more I know, the more I know I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so at least in some areas of my life where I've become more proficient at this, um, I'm realizing I, there's more I know, the more I know I don't know. That's how to offset the dabbler. <laughs> Say that again. The more I know that I don't know. The more I know, the more I know that I don't know. The more I know, the more that I know that I don't know. Uh, we're splitting hairs here. Sis. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I would... just think it's the tongue twister for 2021. The more I know... The more I know, I don't know. Then you can actually go to unconscious incompetence. They don't want, they don't, an unconscious incompetent is someone who doesn't know what they don't know and they don't want to know what they don't know because if they knew what they don't know, then they would know that they didn't know what they did, thought they knew in the first place. All right. 
Beautifully <laughs> done. Bravo. <laughs> so part of the things that in the review, what we want to cover real quick is that there's two axioms, right? We're hardwired mm, to connect. Cute. And so when we don't connect, it hurts. We're also hardwired to learn, to grow. This is the one that's not given much, much press, if you will. Everybody knows that it, we want to connect with others. But what we forget is the couch potatoes of the world, the people who've just gone into sedentary life. They're also miserable because their mind is stale. Mm -hmm. And they also learned, Boeing did the research. Um, they used to, when they first came out with retirement years and years ago at age 65, they started finding out that people were dying within two years. Mm, that's what, interesting. What they found is because they stopped doing something. They stopped They had growing. no hobbies. They stopped growing. Right. We are hardwired to constantly learn. Now, what we've, we know is that there's a – using the three concentric circles, the learning zone is somewhere between 5 to 10 percent above what we currently know. If you're not learning how to learn the, to live there, then you're going to be in that position. You don't stay where you are. A non-learner is atrophying. They're not growing since we're hardwired to grow. And we now know neuroscientists have shown us that whenever we learn something, whenever we have a new awareness, we produce new neurons, neurons that fire together, wire together. So if you're an active learner, a self, uh, a lifelong learner, your neurons will constantly be created. But if you're a self-help junkie, you never learn how to. You're collecting more knowledge, but you're using it in a dysfunctional way because you're using it to show that everybody else is wrong and that you're right. That's an addiction. So new knowledge isn't going to make you any happier. It's learning how to. So you're constantly learning in that regard. So those are the two axioms. Remember the concentric circles. Now, we're back to the a dabbler. Let's rehearse real quick the dabbler. That's kind of my... My way of going, I would grow real quick. I like the shiny objects. I like something new. I usually acclimate to it very quick, and then I plateau. Mm -hmm. And and it's what do you do with a plateau? Because that's that's the other realization is for all learners, there's going to be plateaus. Yeah. And what I would do in the olden days was I would just move on to something new. What's the next shiny what's the object? Next shiny object, yeah. So what's the next job? What's the next friend? What's the next whatever? The next one is the obsessive. Uh, that would be me. I'm pretty sure. All they care about is results, 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 and they want it now. So when they hit plateaus, they're just as appalled as the dabbler. So we both get to, to live in this state of being appalled. But rather than quitting, Sherry Hammer, <laughs> you double down. They ignore the fact that mastery takes sustained effort over time. They don't mind putting in the effort. That's problem is with putting in the time because they want to get the tennis stroke right, hit the ball perfectly from the very first lesson. Tennis would be the worst example for me, but for I know. You, but it's a great example it's for the majority example. of people. So they push and they push and they push themselves to create um, the, the perfect serve, the perfect stroke. Um, what would be one for Sherry? The perfect lesson, uh, the perfect whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, but you got to see Sherry's, what's it called? Grandma daycare? My grandma's preschool. Oh my gosh. That is, that is poetry in motion. Is it? Yeah. It's really fun. I didn't know if you were annoying you or not. <laughs> no. I, I'm just quite impressed with what you've done there. Anyway, 
It's fun. It is It is my one morning a week where I, I get to actually be the preschool teacher to three of my grandchildren, and I enjoy it. So the obsessive um, is a lot like the typical bottom line corporate executive of today, right? It's all very short term. They strive to keep the profit curve angled upward at any cost, even if it means massive layoffs. So there's no empathy in that process, and I'm not trying to tax you. Yeah, okay. Thank um, they sacrifice research. They sacrifice development. And bailing on long-term planning and profitability is something they'll do because they're obsessed. They want the results now. Um, for example, you can't master calculus until you go through algebra and trig. Mm-hmm. And our boy's going to be learning that. So in a nutshell, um, the obsessive experiences an upward curve. They hit a plateau. They get impatient. And they try to push past it and move on to the next level. And and I think that's the takeaway for me is that when I do feel impatient, I will push and I will push others around me. And and so it's taken a long time for me to learn a little bit about that. Uh, so let me finish this definition and then how did you how yeah. did you address it? Um, so they try to push past the plateau and move to the next, but then they run out of gas and they experience a sharp downward climb. Therefore, they never achieve mastery. What have you done when you've been in that position where you can realize I'm at a plateau, my patience is running thin. You don't lack for grit. What you lack for maybe is well, patience. So is that, am I explaining that right? And, and it could be misapplied grit because of the doubling down part. You know, we talk, we think of grit as oh, the person who just never gives up. And, and and what was the book that you read about? Like you've always got sixty percent more there. Yeah, but but that isn't always what is best to do, as I have learned. Is that I I know sometimes I'm hitting my head against something, and that isn't necessarily going to help others or invite others more around me. So. Yeah, so you can get into what's called a stubborn persistence. I'm not saying Sherry, though. Oh, the no, 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 no. No, yeah, stubborn persistence would be good. Um, and in a stubborn persistence, it means that you've doubled down and your argument's going to be, or the argument's going to be, but I've got sunk cost involved in this. Mm-hmm. And anyone who mm-hmm. understands this, the economics of a sunk cost, realize that a sunk cost is not what you measure it by. You also have to measure the opportunity cost associated with right. that. So, yeah, you're going to lose, you know, $1,000, but it's going to cost you $2,000 to make up for it. Good example. Buying a house that we're fixing up and remodeling. And, um, oh, this is this is it. This is totally it for me. Because when I'm working on a physical project like that, and you always run into more expenses when you're remodeling a house. Mm-hmm. And then you see, but if I did this and this and this, it, it, it comes to I could make this a complete package and you're going to dump more money into it than maybe you'll ever get you out never, of it. Yeah, there will be no ROI. Do you see that in me over projects that we've done? And, and it's really hard for me to back off and say, okay, I'm going to let that item go That's or true. I'm not going to replace that bathroom floor because I'm thinking, but holistically, this so is what needs to be So what do you recommend done. I do in the future? No, no, no. You've handled me really well. I All think right. somehow you've, you're like, okay, 
but we got to look at the overall cost and what, and I'm like, oh, okay. So you're saying that I'm okay with this? Yeah, I mean, it's simplest things like replacing she's, baseboards. She's not the, crazy about it. I'm just making sure you understand that. Like replacing trim work on the 38th Avenue home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I wanted to do the whole the house. Like, uh, we should do door jams and we should do, okay, no, we'll just do the upstairs That's baseboards. Right. It was hard for me. It's still, it, that is still something like, oh, that was not left complete. You know, early on in our marriage, that was a big um, sticky point for us because you had difficult difficulty with closure before you uh -huh. go to bed. Uh -huh. You had to have uh -huh. everything in the house tidied up, uh -huh. and I'd be in bed twiddling my thumbs going, where the H is my wife? And, and you sat me down one time and said, I really don't care if you make the kids lunches. I want you at night. I don't want the kids' lunches. I'm like, but my morning will not go well if I don't make these lunches. Well, and it wasn't the lunches as much as doing the last three dishes. Or doing this or that. I mean, it's, our house is always very clean. It's it's very. But it, going to bed part. knowing that my house is as clean. Yeah, I recognize that now. It's like and we had little kids, and so yeah. yes, you handled me well. Thank you. But okay, that's the, obsessive. The next right one there. is the hacker. The yeah. this is the the third one of it. The hacker is uh, the, the hacker begins reasonably well. The hacker makes decent progress, but at a certain point, the hacker stops caring. And there's that plateau. Once they've learned enough to feel comfortable with their situation, they stop trying to improve. They love the status quo. The hacker is complacent with what they have. Let's see yeah, if I, I can find that. Word, complacency. Yeah, the so hacker has the curse of complacency. They are satisfied with their own merits, situation, accomplishments, or station yeah, in life. good enough. You see. <laughs> It's the curse of not wanting to know what you don't know or unconscious incompetence. The cost is the missed opportunities and sacrificed rewards because everything is perceived as okay. The hacker to me is the minimalist as well. Yeah. Just, they just do enough. Mm -hmm. They're good enough. And, and that's it. But okay. the danger with the hacker is they'll think they're an expert with they're good enough. Yeah. So in a nutshell, hackers just hack away. They don't work to improve. They don't try to grow beyond the basics. They stay in their comfort zone. They never move to chaos, and they're rarely in learning. They're staying in that little concentric bullseye because they don't want to go any further, and so they never achieve mastery. Okay, this last one is called paralyzed perfectionist. It's one that we've added based upon multiple so, case studies. So this would be similar to the obsessive in that they see the end goal and they're really focused on the end goal and results. Um, let's say it's, I got to have a 4.0. Okay. Okay. And grades. All right. But the idea of that will paralyze them so much that then they will not even turn in their homework. Now this, this may sound like not even possible. Why wouldn't you turn in your homework well, even when like you this. do it? But no, I've known students, they will do the homework and then not, not turn it in. Turn it in. And it's not forgetfulness, right. is that because they're paralyzed by the idea of what if I don't get a perfect grade? And one of the reasons that happens is because you've got helicopter parents. It's not the only reason, it no. is a reason. Yeah. And so one of the reasons there is that they're always being judged. And because their praise is always results based. Yeah. Oh, you got a hundred percent. Good job. Well, what if you got 100% and didn't even try? What happens in the research from helicopter parenting 
is that this type of a parenting approach where you're praising results all the time creates the perfectionist child because they know that their praise is only going to come if they perform at a certain level. And then they're paralyzed because they may not perform at that level. So when they get into college and mom and dad can't bribe the teacher or, or rum rapshaw or, or threaten the school with a lawsuit, all of a sudden they're starting to get B's and their the world crumbles. And now they're getting C's and then they drop out. Well, they yeah, they won't even go to B and C. They will They will avoid and flunk out because they're probably some of the most gifted and brightest oh, people, yeah. but because they're paralyzed. Yes. Um, and so here's a here's a shameless plug here, is that we have the Himmer Institute online, and, and we have developed some courses in the, the sake of learning processes. Right. And um, there'll be more coming on constantly. So right. we're just in the infant stages here. So if you go to HimmerInstitute.com and you want some resources... There's a couple of free courses. There's one for um, workplace relationships. There's a, a quick one for um, personal sure. relationships. And then we have a course out there for the personal growth protocol. And that one's like, okay, I really want to work on myself. Then that, that's the course for you. So check out hammerinstitute.com for some of our resources that we have out there. So let's move back now. Mastery is the final one. So we've got the dabbler. We've got the obsessive, we have the hacker, and we have the paralyzed perfectionist. And perfectionism, remember, is to hide shame. It's shame-based, it's an addiction, and you're worried about not being perfected. Okay, so we might recognize ourselves as what is it about me when I'm in or not in the zone of proximal development. Right. What is critical to understand as we move through a zone, we've got to reach out and find an MKO, a more knowledgeable other. And um, if I could interrupt, Sherry, yeah, part of that zone of proximal development is what is known, yeah, what do I know right now, and what is not known, what don't I know? And both of these come back to primary questions. So, what is known? I would also ask, what do I know that isn't so? So what am I telling myself that isn't true? And that's then true. what don't I know? So what questions need I ask at this point in time in order for me to grow further? And that distance between what is known as and what is not known is territory where bringing a more knowledgeable other in as a guide. Right. And that MKO can be um, a problem-solving guide. Um, it's somebody, it could be peers that you collaborate. It could be a friend. Right. But it's coming to that realization that when you're hitting that wall, you're hitting plateaus so often and you're frustrated that there's resources. And that's why I mentioned Hammer Institute. In a way, a course can become an MKO, but often a coach. And you had a client who needed an MKO. Yeah, I got a phone call about a year ago. <clears throat> Um, this is really, it could be a host of these because this happens regularly. Right. I wrote my dissertation on workplace bullying and emotional intelligence. And um, some of our friends had a friend who was being bullied at work. So the, the challenge was um, for this particular client is, is she was going to work and it wasn't what she knew. It's what she didn't know. That was the challenge. So one of the first things we did is we went over the five tenets of emotional intelligence. And I'm going to re review those for you real quick and then show you what we did here. So the first tenet is self-awareness. And in Dr. Siegel's world, awareness is just being aware of something like the five senses. How does it taste? What does it look like? How does it feel? Things of that nature. 
But awareness is also knowing what's happening in that space. How are you reacting to other people's comments, energy? Um, so in her particular case, let me finish the five and then I'll go back to this, if you can remember, because I'll probably forget. And then it's self-regulation. You can't regulate differently until you're aware of what's going on. In regulation, and this is interesting, um, first of all, you have to be aware of what's going on. That's called consciousness. That's a subjective state, by the way. We're just in the subjective experience of knowing. The idea of regulating, when you regulate, it means you're integrating. That's critical. So it starts with being aware of what's going on and then regulating a behavior. When you regulate, you're integrating your consciousness. You're upstairs and you're downstairs. The next one is self-motivation. Better said, being a lifelong learner. Notice how that is an axiom in life mm -hmm. that you grow. And that's where she was going. She was going, I don't know what I don't know. Can you work with me? She basically said, you're my MKO. I want you right. to work with me. Right. The, th the fourth one is empathy. Understanding what's going on through the eyes of another person. Empathy ended up being one of her biggest ahas in the process of dealing with the bullies at work. And she probably had three or four of them. So that she took an empathetic view of them? Yeah. And that changed? Yeah, it did. Did it diffuse um, the... Well, we'll go into that. Okay. And then the last one is interpersonal relationships. That'd be mutual trust and respect. So the first thing we did was I taught her how to be aware of behavior. First thing we did was name behavior. Why is that critical? Because if your consciousness is all subjective, and let me just grab that real quick. There it is. Eckhart Tolle teaches that when you let go of thoughts as judgments, you move to a place of neutrality. Every thought she had walking into work was a judgment. Yeah. Like, oh, what are they going to do to me today? And, or you know, she's like, mean. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just quoting. She's a bitch. Um, and she had like four of them at work, three or four, probably about four of them. And it was hard for her. She was the most tender-hearted, and this is typical, target, and, and that's what was going on. So what we did with her is first taught her to be aware of what was going on in her space. In that awareness process, she had to understand, she had to practice getting into the space of what's going on in their world. And when she realized what's going on in the world, we simply went back to the first axiom. They're hardwired to connect. And I said, what reasonable, rational human being would treat another human being that way? And there was a pause on the phone. And she said, no, a reasonable, rational human being wouldn't do that. I said, oh, therefore, what's going on? She said, they're in pain, aren't they? I said, yeah. What reasonable, rational human being would treat another human that way? One who's in pain. The empathetic position that she started realizing was that they were in a tremendous amount of pain and they needed to figure out a way to medicate their pain. And bullying is an addictive behavior that allows someone who was bullied or who was abandoned to medicate. That alone put her in a different mindset when she walked in. The second mindset was she was trying to be nice. She was trying to be liked. There's an awareness. So what did we do? We took away this overture of being nice to everyone in the office and giving them gifts and trying to be liked. And I told her, go back to yay, yay and nay, nay. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, <laughs> don't go in the office looking for a hello. How are you doing? Tell me about your evening because that's what you're doing. 
And every time you walk in there, you're setting yourself up for failure because they see you as a target and you're basically manifesting. See, kick me. So go in there and just be very straightforward and do your work. Don't bring undue attention to you. The smallest little things created a whole different sense of energy. Mm. That's all we're suggesting. So in the zone of proximal learning for her, she was in the outside of 10% the first time we talked. And she actually shut down. So when we regathered, we talked again. And sometimes she went to chaos. She got so frustrated, she fought back. She'd never fought back before. And she lit into her own supervisor. So she was trying to find this balance. Right. And that's what happens when we do it. We, we don't find that balance. We go too far one way because that's where we're stuck in our addiction. We get an MKO and we go too far the other way trying to figure out how to find balance. And you're, that's where the plateaus come in. You're going to go back and forth. Let's just say your challenge right now is to lose weight. Let's say your challenge is to have a better relationship with someone. You're going to ebb and flow on this process. If you start with the identity, just being aware of who you are, that you have worth, then you will know you're going to make mistakes. So I, I broke this out just a second ago. In the perfectionist definition that we talked about, we've got these people who are shame-based, right? But the root of perfectionism is perfect. So I'm going to go back to the process of being perfect. And this is what I shared with my client. Your job is to go into work every day perfect. So let me give you context. Perfect is an experience or an event that is exactly what you need to learn to integrate, to bring neutrality into your space. Perfect's a mistake that gets a retake. Learn from what happened yesterday. What happened? Process it. Do mindfulness. Practice going into work the next day neutral so your level of consciousness is raised. You're not going in with the subjective um, fortune telling of a cognitive distortion. And you're able to put yourself in a position for greater success. So in this case, the MKO got her the know-how to do something that she didn't know before because she wasn't aware that it was going on. So that would be the process where we took the five tenets of EI, emotional intelligence, and went to the basics. Just be aware of what's happening. This is what they're doing. This is how they're luring you in. And this is how you're taking the bait. So let's do a summary of today. And then we'll pick it up with a little bit more of the MKO in the next segment. So what's our takeaway today? Um, so the great example of an MKO in the what learning needed to happen to handle bullying. Um, we often come to the conclusion that there is no solution to workplace bullying or bullying. but um, work, and, and often there isn't, learning. Sherry. There Often are you, you have to leave because you cannot control. And in her, that, that is still a solution. Yeah. But um, that an MKO guidance through emotional intelligence um, could be a solution. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Remember to tap into himmerinstitute.com where we'll be continually to add new courses there. They're asynchronous, so you're able to do this on your own schedule at your own time. Uh, and again, we'll see you in the next segment.
With work, home, and family, there's so much going on. I feel like I'm always running behind. And the last thing I want to do is spend hours out of my day going to see the doctor or waiting in a waiting room. So I use MD Live virtual doctor visits. I can get treated in about 15 minutes from the comfort of my home and even get the medication refills when I run out. MD Live is my first line of defense. Most insurance accepted. With work, home, and family, there's so much going on. I feel like I'm always running behind. And the last thing I want to do is spend hours out of my day going to see the doctor or waiting in a waiting room. So I use MD Live virtual doctor visits. I can get treated in about 15 minutes from the comfort of my home and even get the medication refills when I run out. MD Live is my first line of defense. Most insurance accepted.